We're heathens. The show where we learn about Christianity and how weird it sounds to everyone else. I'm Shannon. And I'm Brian. I am not a priest, and I do not have a degree in theology. I'm just the kind of guy who got a Twitter mostly to follow liberal theologians. And I'm the one who introduced him to Twitter. Yeah, and it's not as bad as I expected. I don't know what you were expecting. It's mostly just sort of like people repping themselves and also telling people their random thoughts. I mean, a lot of people are mean on the internet, but gay priests are not mean on the internet, so that's nice. (laughs) Exactly. I'm glad that you have discovered this charming part of your life. Yeah, it's great. now Twitter. (laughs) So you can follow us on Twitter at school number four heathens, or you can follow Brian on Twitter at, what is your Twitter handle? Uh, I think it's Brian J. Matthias. It's mostly just me complaining about things or retweeting gay priests. Yeah, all of its quality. (laughs) Quality religious Twitter content from both of those channels, if you would choose. All right, Brian. I feel like we have so much to talk about because the holidays have happened since we last saw each other, and I got to hang out with a priest. Yeah, how was that? It was totally nice. He was young, probably in his 30s. He's getting his PhD. He's from Nigeria. He might be listening to the show at this point. That's exciting. Hi, Father Paul. Uh, nice to meet you at Christmas, and here's a little shout-out. We talked about the podcast. Nice. It was very interesting. Uh, he was wearing his collar, which I think helped. I don't know. What, what do you, what, why did that help? I don't know. I think that it, we were talking about me being weird about, wanting, about socializing with priests, and I think that it's easier to be like, oh, and you're also a priest if you're dressed like a priest. Sure. Uh, I also hung out with a priest the other day. We watched Star Wars together. Uh, a New Hope, and he was not wearing a collar. He was, but he did have some awesome Darth Vader socks. That's great. <laughs> I look forward to maybe there being more casual priestly interactions, not in priest dress. Yeah, I mean, at least he wasn't wearing a priest dress. Like that's a thing. That's true. The like full. Like, it's a shindig. cassock. Yeah, that's what they're called. <laughs> great. The the full shindig. Is that also what the robes that the monks wear no, are called? Those are different. Those have different names when yeah. their dresses are worn by monks. Yeah, I. Don't know if there's another name for them beyond robes. I'm sure there's someone in an order who knows that. I'm sure. If you are of an <laughs> order and you listen to the show, email us and let us know. I really hope there's a Benedictine monk or something or a Franciscan who's listening to this. Man, make our day. <laughs> Monks of the world, make our day. Listen to our show. I feel like I had something else I want to tell you. Oh, I had a weird uh, shopping encounter that I thought of you. Oh. I was in Water Tower Place Mall here in Chicago. And I kept seeing bags for this store called Altered State. And it's spelled alter like A-L-T-E-R apostrophe D. And I kept thinking it had to be a bridal store. Sure. With a name like that, I figured it had to be a bridal store. And then when I found it in the mall, I wasn't looking for it, but I was wandering around the mall. And it was not a bridal store. It looked like a cute little boutique. Sort of like anthropology-esque sort of style. Like lots of soft colors and like cutesy sort of twee clothing. But then if you walked close to any display that had like books or written text on them. It's all religious books? It was all religious. Okay. I can imagine that it was the inside of what a very Christian Southern sorority looks like. Oh, that sounds nice. Like it was like super (laughs) fuzzy pullover sweatshirts and like cute dresses and like lots of flowered Bible journals. Good. Yeah, and they probably had like Bible for her. Yeah. We need that, I guess. I guess. But yes, it was exactly that kind of thing. It was both charming and kind of confusing. 
Huh. Yeah. So, I thought of you. Oh, well, How was your holidays? Um, mine was pretty good. Just uh, spent the week with the family. The really, not not like as religious as you probably would expect from me. Like, we went to Mass, but that was it. Yeah, but you're not a big Christmas person, right? Um, not particularly. I'm more of an Easter person, for sure. Fair. Yeah, I wasn't feeling like super Christmassy this year, I think, because I was working so much. But it was nice to celebrate. Both I got to see both my parents. Mm-hmm. All good stuff. All right, enough with the pleasantries. What are we talking about today, Brian? Well, this week, first week of the year, just uh, getting past all of those end-of-the-year donation calls. So, we are oh, yes. talking about tithing. Interesting. Okay. I think I probably... I have some questions about tithing, so I think that... I'm really glad we're talking about this in terms of when it's required and how it works and where that money goes and all of that stuff. So what do you got for me? Well, hopefully I will actually know the answers to those questions. Tithing is giving a tenth of your income to support the clergy or the church or the poor. Okay. It, it has biblical origins. Interesting. Um, in Genesis, particularly, the first book in the Old Testament. And then there was light. That's, that is how it begins, yes. Great. We will get into that on another episode. Awesome. But we're, <laughs> we're at the very beginning of all of it. Yeah, we're, I mean, we're later in the beginning, but yeah. Okay. So there was a war between the king of Elam and the kings of Sodom, Gomorrah, Adma, Zeboim, and Bala. Okay, so a bunch of, are they city-states? Are they countries? What kingdoms, they? yeah. Kingdoms. Biblical kingdoms. Uh, the All of these other ones were subject to the other king. Um, and Abram's nephew Lot was living in Sodom at this point. Okay. Lot comes up in the Bible somewhere else, right? He does. So does Abram. You probably know him by the name that God gave him later, Abraham. Oh, he has two names. He does. Oh, I should have asked. There's a lot of people who have two names. I really got to get better at asking if people have two names. <laughs> I mean, you don't, because if it's important, like this one, I'll tell you. <laughs> okay, so Abram before he's Abraham, and his brother Lot? No, uh, nephew. Nephew Lot. So nephew is in Sodom. Okay. So when this uprising of all these kings fails, Lot was taken prisoner. Okay, so he was on the side of the revolution. It's unclear whether he was actually on their side or just kind of got swept up in it. Okay. But he gets arrested. He does. So Abram gathers up all the men in his family to get his nephew back. They attack during the night, and they're able to get back Lot, all the possessions, along with all of the other goods that had been stolen, plus the women and other people. So they rescue everybody. Yeah. It's like, This sounds like a biblical jailbreak. Yeah, I mean, dead of night, definitely. Yeah. Okay. So they get back, they meet with the king of Sodom and Melchizedek. I should have looked that one up. Sorry, guys, this is important. <laughs> He's a priest king of Salem. Uh, he blessed Abraham, and Abraham gave him 10% of the spoils of war. The king of Sodom weirdly asked for just the people. He didn't want any of the spoils, and, Abra- and Abraham could have all of the goods. But Abraham said, no, we'll split it evenly. Because he didn't want the king to be able to say that he had made Abram rich. Okay, so everyone gets 10%. <laughs> this priest king gets 10%. Everybody else who was actually involved in the conflict gets, gets their splits. 
So this is the first time that a tithe was mentioned in the Bible, of the giving of 10%. And it's specific because he was a priest king and not a regular king? Yeah, he was specifically a priest. We don't really know much about him. We don't know where he came from. He's not one of the Levites, which are like the normal priests in uh, ancient Judaism. Um, but he was the priest king of one of these kingdoms that yeah, he's tried just, to get overthrown? He's just a priest guy, and he got 10%. Okay. So. And that's where it came from. And that's how we have a tithe, basically. Interesting. Um, we, But it was also, it's a one-time thing, <laughs> and it's the spoils of war. It's not part of your normal income, so it's a little different from what tithing has become. Um, and then we get uh, Abraham's grandson, Jacob, who was later renamed Israel. Okay. Um, because he fought an angel. Uh, right. <laughs> I mean, if I fight by a name until I want a new name, too. Sure. Yeah, I'll, I'll let you know Thanks. what your new name will be. Keep me updated. Uh, he made a vow. He said, uh, if God be with me and will watch over me on this journey I'm taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's household, then the Lord will be my God, and this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house, and for all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. Okay. So Jacob was the first guy that made it a 10% of what you personally own and not necessarily a 10th of what you win. Yeah, some people consider this as a ongoing 10%. Some people consider it one-off, but it's getting more into the, the ritual, just give 10% of your income. Okay. Um, by the time we get to Moses, the law of Moses in Deuteronomy, tithing is an established official practice. It happened okay. sometime between. If possible, at this point, tithes were supposed to be in kind. So you were supposed to give 10% of your crops, your wine, your animals. But if that's impractical, you were allowed to exchange it for silver and take that silver as an offering. Okay. So 10% of in-kind or money, whatever, makes it better for you? Yeah. I mean, money is not ideal, but we guess that works. Because they didn't really have a use for the money? Well, because most of the reason you were tithing at this point was to support the Levites, who were the, the priests. Okay. Um, and they didn't have their own crops or whatever, so it's just more direct, I guess, to give it to them. So it's just more useful to support these people with the things they need as opposed to giving them money to buy the things they need. Yeah, I cool. think is the idea. This tithe was uh, used as sacrifices to God, it was used to support the Levites, and it was also used to support the widows and the poor. Okay. The, the Levites, I've mentioned them a couple times. They're just one of the 12 tribes of Israel. All right. Um, that, that they had this special duty that was theirs. And they're sort of the priest tribe. Yeah. And so 10% is also going to widows and the poor. Yeah, it's that they also get it. Some people think that there were three separate tithes and they did, all did separate things. Other people think that the tithes that are listed are just different uses of the same 10%. Okay. It sort of all goes into a pot and it gets divvied up based yeah. on need to the Levites, the widows, and the poor. And and also sacrifices. Oh, right. Sacrifices. I forgot about sacrifices. Yeah, widows and poor get lumped together. <laughs> sure. The needy. Yeah. They, they, they really, they need some help. Um, Jesus also mentioned tithing. Uh, he actually yelled at the Pharisees for tithing their mint, dill, and cumin. Um, like, individually separating out 10%. Oh. <laughs> uh, instead of worrying about the weightier matters of the law, like justice, mercy, and faithfulness. So they were getting wrapped up in these silly things. Yeah. So Jesus supported tithing just like 
Be cool about it. <laughs> Good. Be more chill on the tithing thing. Yeah. And as the Christian movement grew, there were lots of debates about whether Christians had to follow Jewish law under which tithing was included. Okay. Long story short, people decided, no, Jesus' sacrifice freed people from that, but we might get more into that debate on another episode. Okay. Um, but it, it was okay that there wasn't tithing at this point because early church was mostly small groups that met in homes, so they didn't have a lot of expenses. So there weren't priests with houses and the whole bit to upkeep in the same way. Yeah. At this point, a lot of leaders supported themselves in other ways. Paul, for example. Good friend, Paul. A friend of the podcast, Paul, was a tent maker. Interesting. Yeah. I like that. That's always weird to me. Um, because, like, he, at other points it says that he's like, has a hunch and can't walk very well. So, like, picturing him doing anything physical is funny. <laughs> I mean, tents aren't, like, the most... You're not building cabins or cars or watch it. I mean, I guess maybe if you're hunched, a small handy thing is easier. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how hard it is to make an ancient tent. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> maybe that'll be an episode. I'll try to make an ancient tent. Yes. <laughs> when we transfer to video someday, it'll oh, just God. be videos of Brian trying to do biblical things. But anyway, people were encouraged to do free will offerings. So okay. not the like mandatory 10% thing. Still give, but it doesn't have to be a certain amount to a certain thing, whatever, whatever. Yeah. The, in the, the Acts of the Apostles, uh, it summed up uh, the workings of the early church. It says, All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions were their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in all of them that there was no needy persons among them. From time to time... Those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales to the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. So, yes, the early church was super, super socialist. I was about to say, this sounds like a utopian socialist commune. That worked well for a little bit. I mean, in small <laughs> groups, it does tend to be effective. Yeah, there's also this one funny story from right there where... Uh, this couple, uh, Annius and Sapphira, they sold all their stuff, but they kept some of the money for themselves. Ooh. And they lied about it to Peter. And so Peter yelled at Annius for lying to God, and he literally dropped and died. Um, wow. Peter had some power. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> and then Sapphira came in, and she didn't know what had happened. She also lied, and also dropped, dropped dead. dead. <laughs> so... Don't lie to Peter, I guess. I mean, I would never. <laughs> so the church goes on like this for about 300 years. Um, the Didache, which is an early instruction for the church, written about 100 CE, it says, give according to the commandment, but it doesn't mention tithing, so it's unclear if the commandment is tithing. Okay. But it also says, uh, let your charitable gift sweat in your hands until you know to whom you're giving it. Which is definitely not tithing, because tithing, you're not supposed to decide who you're giving it to. Okay. So this is slightly different. Yeah. So it's probably closer to the free will offering. Fair. Um, Iranius might have been specifically against tithing. At the very least, he didn't advocate for it. Who was that? Uh, Iranius was an early scholar. Okay. Uh, second century. Um, origin around the same time. He said that Jesus wanted the Pharisees to tithe. The Pharisees were like Jewish scholars. Yeah. They're the guys from Jesus Christ Superstar. 
Yeah, they yeah they are in that. They yeah. are also other places. Sure, <laughs> but remember, everything I know is from pop culture. You know what? Good enough. You, they're not actually evil. They're just they just disagreed with okay. Jesus. <laughs> so the Pharisees, who were a different set of religious scholars, Jesus wanted them to tithe. Yeah, he wanted them to tithe, and Origen said that Christians are more righteous than them, so they should be giving more. But no one's making you. Okay, so he's sort of being like, you don't have to tithe, but you should be giving. Yeah. Um, And so then, as always, our big turning point comes to Constantine in the 4th century. Yes, all roads lead to Constantine. Pretty much. He has his foot in everything. Well, he was just a big deal. That's true. And he wanted everyone to know he was a big deal. Of course he did. So it was important to him that there were big monuments to Christianity, so everyone would know what a big deal he was. Great. So this is when we start moving out of houses and into big, elaborate churches. Right. And to maintain these big, elaborate churches, we have to start paying the clergy. Okay. So luckily, Constantine was able to bankroll a lot of this, but also it we started running out of money as a church. Yeah. So we get some church fathers who change their view on tithing. Augustine said that when Jesus told his followers to sell all they had and follow him, that was binding. That wasn't just a suggestion. You should be selling all you have. But he was mad because people were not doing this, so he said, fine, the very least you can do is tithe. Okay, so if you're not going to sell everything you can, you have... To follow Jesus, the very least you should do is give up 10%. Yeah, and Jerome, uh, another one of these early church fathers, he said pretty much the same thing. You should be giving all you have to the poor. At least you can do what the Jews are required, so give a tenth. And there's some weird anti-Semitism. That sounds, I was like, that sounds really shady. <laughs> it definitely, We definitely get into that at, at this period. So at this point, it's sort of like, well, our ancestors, the Jews tithed. So how do we make sure that we are at least as good as them as this without feeling like we have to be beholden to this idea of the word tithing? Yeah. And I mean, they're also throwing some shade at current Jews as well. Yeah. Uh, which doesn't need to be said, but not cool. Not cool. <laughs> then we get to a more formalized, everyone needs to tithe in 585 at the Third Council of Marcon. Uh, tithing was made mandatory under threat of excommunication. There's also a rumor that at this uh, council, they decided that women don't have souls. What? Uh, that didn't happen. <laughs> okay, but where did this rumor come from? We'll get to it another time. Okay. It was just a fun note. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put a pin in that one. <laughs> yeah, I will talk about how women definitely do have souls, and there's a lot of people who at different points have said they don't. That's so weird. So in 800... Tithing moved from being just a religious mandate to being civil law when it was enforced by Charlemagne. Okay. Um, Originally, tithes were paid directly to the bishop, but as time went on and the church grew, people were able to pay them directly to parish priests. Okay, so you didn't have to, like, save up all of your tithing and then go to the bishop or wait till the bishop got in town and give him your money. Yeah, you didn't have to travel. You could just... Give it to your local guy. And does that also mean that local churches became more in charge of their own financial affairs? Uh, I didn't look specifically into that, but I I assume so. Then it kind of got more lax, and you were able to tithe to nobles and princes. And there were lots of abuses. I was going to say, that seems shady. (laughs) Yeah. I'm making a face. So, 
it got so bad that at the third council of Lateran, I'm probably mispronouncing that one, sorry guys. Yeah. Uh, in 1179, tithes to laymen were banned unless you had special permission from the Pope. Great. So then we're going to jump forward a little bit to the Protestant Reformations. Great. It had to happen at some point. Yeah. And as always, when we get to the Protestant Reformation, here comes Martin Luther. Hello, Luther! He said no one is bound by Mosaic Law, but he also thought that tithing was just a good and useful idea. Um, And he suggested that government use it as a tax, basically. Okay, so instead of it being... He's basically just like, let the government handle it. Kind of, yeah. It's He's... He has some weird uh, feelings on tithing. Uh, and then John Calvin, of Calvinist fame, mm-hmm. uh, he believed that whatever God has enjoined ought to be performed and that no part of it ought to be omitted. So he was, you should listen to all of the law, including tithing. Um, but he also said that tithes were only an appendage of the law, so they shouldn't be your focus. There's more important things to be worrying about than whether or not you have to give him 10%. Right. But also you do that. Um, then we get into the Anabaptists who were very much against tithing. Um, Can we talk a little bit about Anabaptists briefly? Because the only thing I know about Anabaptists is that they're in Candide. Um, give me the two sentences on Anabaptists. They're the ones who believe in believer's baptism. Okay. How are they different than regular Baptists? Are they not? Or are they just early Baptists? I... As far as I know, Baptists were a development from, like, out of Anabaptists, and I think Baptists are more specifically American than Anabaptists. I think Anabaptists are a larger, older movement. Okay, so what did the Anabaptists say about Tyler? But also, guys, I haven't done a lot of research on that, so... I'm putting Brian on the spot here. I might be wrong on that one. Um, But Anabaptists, they were very much at this time, only follow the New Testament. Uh, It suggests free will offerings to support missionaries and the poor, so that's what you should go with. No tithing. Okay. John Smith, who was an American Baptist, like the modern Baptist, um, he, in the late 16th century, he said that tithing was either Jewish or popish. He was not into it. Shady John Smith. Popish meaning uh, Catholic. Yeah, like of the Pope. Yeah. So Baptists, no, no tithing at all from this point until the late 1800s. Okay. And tithing falls out of favor a lot at this point, especially with Protestants, <laughs> evangelicals. Um, and it doesn't come back until 1876, when a wealthy Chicago businessman and Presbyterian named Thomas Kane wrote a pamphlet. In his pamphlet, he argued that tithing is a universal law, and you should definitely do it. Now, was his argument just giving to the poor is good, and so we should reinstate tithing? Or was there some sort of biblical reason why he thought tithing was the thing? Uh, as far as I can tell about him is he <laughs> said that you should give one-seventh of your life to the Lord, so Sabbath, mm-hmm. um, and you should give one-tenth of your income to the Lord. Okay. Both are important. They've God said to do that, so do that. And he was a Presbyterian? Yeah. He distributed this pamphlet for free to 75% of the evangelical pastors in the United States. Whoa. That's a lot of printing. (laughs) So this brought tithing back. Um, So everyone agreed. This wealthy Chicago businessman was like, you know, it'd be great if we all gave 10% of our income to the church. And then he reminded 75% of the evangelical pastors 
in America that this was a thing. And they were like, oh, right. There was a time where we asked everyone for money and then we could have more money. And so they brought back tithing? Pretty much. <laughs> this pamphlet, they were like, oh, we didn't know about this. We could have money. Let's have money. What a novel concept. <laughs> so because of this, uh, tithing remains most popular with evangelicals. Okay. Today, some churches require tithing of their members. Most of those are going to be either Baptist or uh, non-denominational evangelical churches. Okay. The Mormon church also requires that their members tithe. If they don't, they're not allowed in the temples. But most mainline Protestant, Catholics, Orthodox, they're going to say, tithing is good. You should do it. Mm-hmm. But we're not going to require you to. We'll take whatever you offer. Mm-hmm. I don't tithe. I calculated it out. I'm currently giving 1%. Great. <laughs> but you also give time and other things. That's true. I also have so many student loans. <laughs> that's really real. Yeah. And that's basically it. Everyone agrees. Yeah, we should we should totally give money to the poor and to help the priests and all that. But, you know, it could be 10%. That'd be nice. Yeah. But it doesn't have to be, most people say. There you go. Ideally 10%. But if it doesn't work out, give what you can. Yeah, or if you ask some of those older guys, you should give everything. <laughs> I mean, yeah, some of them were like, sell all your stuff and move into the desert. That's probably the most Jesus view of it is... Sell everything you own and move into the desert. Yeah, we we already did uh, Party Boy Jesus. This is uh, Proletariat Jesus. Yes. <laughs> I, I like the phases of Jesus. Is that it? Should we take a break? That is all we have on tithing. All right, let's take a break, and then we'll come back for some fun. And we're back. And it's time for the Patronage Pop Quiz, where I tell Shannon about a saint, and she has to guess what they're the patron of. Okay, let's see how we do this week. (laughs) New Year, clean slate, starting with Saint Barbara. Ooh, a lady saint. Yeah. I'm excited by lady saints. Tell me about Barbara. Barbara was born in the 3rd century in Phoenicia to a rich pagan family. She was extremely beautiful, so to protect her, her father locked her away in a high tower. Of course. (laughs) Only her pagan teachers were allowed in. She spent all day staring out her window at the beauty of God's creation, and she often wondered about the creator of so splendid and harmonious a world, and realized that it couldn't possibly be the idols that her father worshipped. So she secretly became a Christian and a consecrated virgin, and dedicated her life to telling other people about the true God. Now, side note, where she learned all this when no Christians were allowed to visit her, I do not know. Yeah, I have that exact (laughs) same question. Yeah, no answer, sorry. Uh, When she got older, her father started presenting men to her for marriage. She refused them all and said that if he wouldn't knock it off, it would ruin their relationship. So he decided to let her out of her tower to see if freedom would change her mind. Instead, she used her freedom to sneak away, learn more about Christ, and secretly get baptized. Amazing. While she was gone, her father made her a bathhouse. It had two windows, but she convinced him to add a third because Trinity, I guess. Great. And I guess that worked because lots of miracles happened at this bathhouse. Um, When her father found out that she was a Christian, he tried to strike her with his sword. She ran and was able to hide when a hill blocked her father and opened up a crevice for her to hide in. She was found when a shepherd who saw her uh, betrayed her, 
and as punishment, he was turned to stone and his flock to locusts. Her father locked her up, and he starved and tortured her, and she refused to renounce her faith and was eventually beheaded. And as punishment, her father and the official who ordered her beheading were immediately struck by lightning. Amazing. So, Shannon, what is Barbara the patron of? Oh, man, I have no idea. There's like, because I don't think there's probably a patron saint of uh, women locked in towers or bathhouses. Um, could she be the patron saint of consecrated virgins? Um, or virgins in general? I don't think pagans get their own patron saint. No, it's weirder than that. All right, get weird. Tell me what she's the patron saint. She of. has quite a list. Uh, she is the patron against death by artillery, against explosions, against fire, against impenitence, against lightning, against mine collapse, against storms, against vermin, uh, for ammunition magazines, for ammunition workers, for architects, armorers, artillery, artillerymen, boatmen, bomb technicians, brass workers, brewers, builders, carpenters, construction workers, dying people, explosives workers, fire prevention, firefighters, fireworks, firework manufacturers, uh, fortifications, foundry workers, geologists, gravediggers, gunners, hatmakers, hatters, against lightning, mariners, martyrs, masons, mathematicians, military engineers, milliners, miners, ordnance workers, prisoners, safety from storms, sailors, saltpeter workers, smelters, stonemasons, stonecutters, storms, sudden death, tillers, warehouses, and watermen. My favorite being fireworks. Fireworks. So really, she's the patron saint of explosions and first responders. Yes. Um, because her, her dad exploded after she died. Fair. <laughs> so yeah, weirder than you went So you weird. Went so weird. So charming. <laughs> I love it. All right. Well, to close us out today, we got some listener mail. Oh, I'm so excited about this. Uh, a friend of ours named Jeff. Shout out to Jeff. Sent us an email, which you also can to at sundayschoolforheathens at gmail.com. And he wrote us a rhyming Nicene Creed. Yeah, because uh, as far as I know, there was not one. Yeah. So, uh, Jeff presents what may be the first piece of fan art for this show. And here it is. I believe there is one God. I believe he is not flawed. This God, he made the world and all its boys and girls. I believe there is one Jesus who died in order to please us. He was born of Mary and is God's true tributary. Jesus died upon a cross, but it wasn't a long loss. He rose up from the earth and will return to judge our worth. I believe in the Holy Spirit who made this world and seeks to steer it. I know the Spirit, Father, and Son are, in fact, all as one. There it is. There, it's... Mostly theologically correct. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't I know. I mean, that, I don't. I'm not one to judge. <laughs> I don't know that Jesus is pleasing us. Uh, it's supposed to be the opposite, but I like the rhyme. So the rhyme is cute. I'll take it. <laughs> well, thank you, Jeff. If you want to write to us, sundayschoolforheathens at gmail.com is the email. School number four heathens is the Twitter account. If you have not yet rated or reviewed us on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcast, please do so. It's the best way to have people get to the show, unless you're just wandering around telling all your friends about it, in which case, thumbs up for you as well. 
Our theme song is by Adam Griffin. He's playing a show at the Elbow Room in Chicago on Wednesday, January 16th at 7 p.m. You can find out more about his show and his music at alteringgravity.wordpress.com. Our logo is by his brother, David Griffin, and it was at their house that I got to meet that priest at Christmas. I think that's it for today. Yeah, I think that's all I have. Amen. Amen. Go in peace to like and share the pod.